Rugger Matrix, episode 184, the NRC Explained. This week we speak to Ben Whitaker from the Australian Rugby Union about the National Rugby Championship. What's different to 2007 when the Australian Rugby Championship had one shot at it? As always, Rugger Matrix is brought to you by Strike, Australia's leading provider of Bluetooth car kits and other handheld devices. Make sure you get your cradle today. If you get caught, it could cost you big time. Strike.com.au will give you 10% off if you enter the code RuggerMatrix on checkout. So make sure you look after your driving today. Check out Strike.com.au. Rugger Matrix also brought to you by MyBean.com.au. Coffee direct from the roaster to you and they sell at roaster's prices. Hello and welcome to episode 184 of Rugger Matrix, Juro Senior Host, and as always, we love strike.com.au. Safe driving out there with a hands-free kit and you get 10% off. Mark Cashman, I'm sure you do that all the time as I welcome you to the program. That's exactly right, Bronk. Uh, sorting out my daughter's Telstra mobile bill on the way over, and I must admit, I had the phone to my ear with the hand. So uh, listen, I've got to get a strike on board, don't I? Oh, jeez. Okay, look out. You weren't driving, though. Let's just keep that clear. All right, Mark, uh, plenty to come uh, in this program. This is a special program. Just quickly off the top, though, Casho, surprised about um, the French victory at the weekend in Six Nations. Absolutely, what you know? What 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 a great contest it was. Uh, France started out uh, very strongly, uh, fell apart towards the middle, uh, and then sort of came back. A great try at the end there, and uh, everyone loves a, a win in Paris, don't they? Yeah, they certainly do. Wales were a bit uh, ordinary uh, against Italy, but they got the job done. And Scotland, Scotland were brave, but uh, pretty good signs already for Ireland. So all the best to you, Les Kiss, and we'll cover more about uh, uh, the Six Nations next week. Well, it's time to bring in our special guest and. Uh, I think he's got some breaking news for us right now on his brother, Chris Whitaker. But Ben Whitaker, thank you very much for joining us on Rugger Matrix International and the club show as well. How are you, mate? Very good. Uh, lots happening uh, so early in the season. All right. So uh, just quick news. Uh, we had Rocky Olsen last week and uh, Bond won again. And Chris is, of course, involved with the team. Yeah, Chris is uh, assistant coach uh, to Justin Harrison over there and I had him on the phone last night. You don't get to speak to my brother too often, so you cherish uh, every minute you get on the phone with him and uh, they're really upbeat at the moment. They've had three wins on the trot, so um, keeps them in fifth, um, really close to uh, fourth apparently, so um, uh, they're closing the gap and uh, it's good to see. Yeah, good news. All right, Ben, so uh, let's start uh, at the beginning. Uh, there's a new National Rugby Championship being introduced in Australia at the end of this year. whole lot of interest to how that's going to improve the game at that tier. Of course, the picks over our shoulders are from the 2007 competition, the uh, Australian Rugby Championship that produced some great rugby was very expensive. Ben, what's your role firstly at the ARU and what's it got to do with the National Rugby Championship? Sure. So, so basically my role is to look after what we call development pathways. So. Um, there's four key areas to that, one being talent development, uh, which includes our competitions, our development programs to progress players from as young as 14, 15 up through to uh, Super Rugby and beyond, uh, coach development, uh, match official development and sports science, sports medicine. Uh, so a, a big area that's sort of come out of, um, I suppose, the, um, the changes that were made last year to the high performance unit. And uh, I work very closely uh, with the Wallabies department, headed up by uh, Ewan McKenzie, uh, the sevens department headed up by Anthony Eddy mm -hmm. and have a real close link into participation which um, you know we really are that link between community participation and I suppose the uh, the talent pathway. Which uh, National Rugby Championship is is an important part of this formula to keep Wallabies winning to keep them uh, in in the in the front foot to keep them in Rugby World Cup finals uh, uh, how's it going uh, what's the timeline tell us tell us all about it, in other words. Yeah, look it's been um, it's been exciting, it's been challenging, and um, you know, I think it was something that, um, that Bill Pulver and the, and the management team at AAU are really keen to investigate strongly. Uh, it, it will become, and we believe it will be, uh, a really important part of the pathway, uh, whilst maintaining the integrity of other pieces um, that are real critical to the pathway, whether it be you know, junior school rugby up into our, our sort of um, age grade representative rugby Club rugby, real important part of the uh, the landscape in Australia, up through Super Rugby. So I'm sort of leading you through the whole pathway. So in that regard, it sort of um, it, it completes a progressive pathway. 
providing uh, exposure to not just players but coaches and, and match officials um, at a level a little bit higher than what um, we've experienced in the last few years. And um, um, whilst you know, there's a lot of work to do uh, to construct it, we've been there in 2007 with a version um, of such a competition that, that gave us so many positives. Uh, but obviously we learned a lot of that as well um, on, on, on what can be done differently uh, to ensure it's sustainable. Um, the other part is the, the, the content piece. So we've got some you know, levels of rugby that, um, that broadcasters, that, uh, that supporters um, want to, to, to watch. And we've got, you know, we're pooling best players v best players uh, in a competition at a time of year where there's a bit of free space there. Um, and, and, to show rugby. And that content thing is important as well as the development aspect is important to keep the cash flowing in, isn't it? It is. And um, my, my area is clearly more around sort of the player development and, and development of other key participants in the game. But it became pretty um, you know, obvious early on that we need to create content for financial gain. We need to commercialise uh, as much as we can because we need to increase revenue streams into the game and we need to find ways of doing that. Um, you know, I think Bill Poor and, and has been you know, very open in, in talking about the pressures that we face as a game, uh, both from a financial point of view and support-based point of view. Um, but we're not resting, you know, we're not sitting there saying, oh, it's all doom and gloom, we need to push forward. Uh, and this is one uh, strategy aimed at just doing that, allowing us to get a better um, into um, new revenue. Which, uh, when you look at this, how do you separate or do you put it all together? You want a good TV product, that entertains, but you also want the development to work for for the Australian game. So, you've re being in charge of that talent. I mean, how do you mesh that together? Because tw the 2007 competition was really good, but just incredibly expensive. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was, and I think I think we've taken the approach. I mean, even back then, I think everyone sort of took the approach that we need to be patient. Um, there were some, you know, there were some costs involved in the 2007 arc that, that are not around today. Uh, one of those significantly is due to um, the partnership we've, we've formed with uh, Foxtel and Fox Sports. Yeah, and that is, that, that's huge and uh, that allows us to basically um, push forward with the concept because they'll cover a lot of the costs around uh, the competition running. And um, they'll also provide you know, fantastic exposure through broadcast, and uh, and that's something that wasn't part of the the arc in 2007. So that sets us up uh, to drive forward from a financial model point of view, but also it gives us that straight up backing to uh, to showcase the game. Um, I think I think uh, the arc proved uh, you know pooling best players against best players, young talent, um, established talent, uh, and some little innovation around law. Uh, create a really you know good game to watch, and I think most people who watched you know games in that in that period um, would absolutely admit that um, the football was uh, really exciting. Well, just look at some of the talent that's over your shoulder. I mean, incredible, and uh, from the Curly Beals to Tafu Plotter now, and some guys who've gone to France and maybe come back as well. Yeah, and we I think we need to keep selling that dream. You know, I mean, we probably haven't been you know strong promoters of, of what we uh, provide from a pathway point of view and exposure point of view, and I think you're right. I mean, we looked at the first round um, team lists from 2007 and, and sitting on the bench for one Brisbane team's Quade Cooper and on the bench for the other Brisbane team is Will Genya, you know, now our Wallaby half pairing. So, yeah, they're both 19 years of age. Yeah. So it, to, we, we've got to make sure that these initiatives that we put forward are extremely exciting, particularly for the participants. Which you mentioned the innovation there and obviously uh, you're going to try and, well, not so much trick it up but make it a lot more attractive. What are some of the things that are on the table to be discussed uh, that may well come out when the comp kicks off in, in when Octo September, October sometime, isn't it? Yeah, we, we want to be a bit, uh, quite open about that to start with. We don't want to have any sort of preconceived ideas and we aren't actually going to open that up to the public to come forward with suggestions and ideas on how we can um, create some innovation around how the game's played. Um, we've been very open that we want to get back to an attractive, open running style of game in this country and understanding that it doesn't always win at the top level and things change, but at this level we're in, we're in a fair bit of control here so we can um, hopefully adapt um, um, levels of law and, and, and rules that allow us to do that. And I think, again, go back to 2007, some of those law variations you know, were fantastic in speeding up the game and you know, creating a great um, you know, spectacle. 
Uh, what are some of those innovations you've discussed at the water cooler at the ARU? Oh, look, I think I think I mean, we look at other models around the world as well. We've got to be careful too because we're we're, we're bound to to the laws of the game, you know, set by the IRB. And I think we all know that they aren't uh, laws that you can change within a week. Um, you know, I was, you know, you look at what NRL did last week, and they've you know um, they've basically agreed to a whole set of um, rule changes, and uh, they did that because they own the game and they run the game. Um, we have well, um, coaches aren't exactly happy. Just talking to a couple, but sure. uh, that's another. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. Well, uh, good luck to them. They can deal with that, I think. And uh, but but yeah, you know, we're we're faced with a bit more complex uh, and lengthy time yeah. to uh, to get those sort of things through. But then if you look at other competitions around the world, and probably the one that we look most closely at, at the moment is the Varsity Cup in uh, South Africa, um, which is obviously a university-led competition, and they've got you know they're they're, they're trialling uh, two referees on the field, for instance, um, oh. and have done oh. have done over the years. Two referees, you yeah. just hit on it. Um, I'm you know, a fan. He's not right. Oh, it's good. Let's have a let's have a debate <laughs> about that. They've got um, yeah, they've got some different uh, point scoring systems around how much you get for a try and a penalty goal. Do you know what I mean? They've got um, you know a whole lot of uh, tweakings that you can do. Um, they don't necessarily change the game because that's you, you can't change the game. Um, you have to go through a whole what are they, process. Uh, it's interesting. Try penalty goal. What are their points? My, my understanding is they look at a five point try, uh, two points for penalty goals. Uh, sorry. Six points for tries, yeah. um, and these sort of things. Um, they've got a different bonus point structure mm. uh, than we have in our game, which I think is something we should look at. And I mean, we've, I think we started with the bonus point structure in Super Rugby. Yes. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And um, you know, it's been the same, you know, for 16, 17 years in in France in Pro Pro One in France, and I'm pretty sure Pro Two they have a, a, a you just basically got to be ahead of your opposition by three tries yeah. Yeah. to get the bonus the, the exactly. bonus point, rather yeah. than have yeah. four tries flat. Yeah. So, um, which is which is not a bad system because it encourages the team that's losing to actually, um, you know, keep playing. Keep playing. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, so, and they're the things we want to explore and that sort of thing. But like I said, we're pretty keen to open that up uh, to the public, and we're going to uh, pull together a um, a panel of so-called experts to uh, to have a close look at what innovation would uh, would be effective in, in such a competition, whilst maintaining the fabric of the game. We can't, you know, totally uh, mm. destroy what is rugby and what makes rugby unique. Because we, got, because we have to compete in Europe. We had a discussion with Rocky last week that, uh, that scrummaging, uh, kicking for corners in really difficult conditions is applauded in the, in, in the UK. Not so much here. So we've got to make sure that we don't lose a skill set that allows us to compete on end of, end of season tours. Absolutely. I think, I think you know, one of the key parts around uh, this competition and probably, probably the whole pathway is that we need to continue to create strong challenge for positions because out of that, you, you, you increase your talent pool. So you provide exposure, you challenge everyone within you know, the system uh, to be better, uh, to challenge for positions. And you know the New Zealands and the South Africans have that through weighted numbers, but also through the pathway that they've developed. Out, out of that, you, Joe, we go, well, well, let's challenge the front rowers to be the best, not just players, in the NRC and above, but also the best scrummages, because clearly we need both. Mm. And um, and, and you know, we, we'll, we'll put some uh, some programs in place around that too that continue to hopefully press you know that claim of players to be better in key areas of the game, so we can compete internationally. Which tell us some of the critical dates. Uh, the, the the tenders are out there. When 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 have they got to come in? When will you announce the teams? Uh, when's the first ball being kicked off? Uh, the competition structure. What's the semi-finals? Are we going to have a semi-final? Is it going to be one v two in the final? What's what's the go? Yeah, sure. So we we've set a date of the fourteenth of February for tenders to come back in. Um, and again, the whole tender process is a different process than what was run back in 2007 with the ARC. And, um, and we've been working very closely with a lot of those genuine tenderers. So uh, we have an NRC commission set up um, that involves um, the ARU, um, some external consultants, one notably being John Boltby, ex-AIS director. Oh, yeah. Uh, and worked at the FFA. He's been around for a bit. He has, yeah, and he provides fantastic experience. We've got Rupert on board, so Greg Harris has been a fantastic, uh, well, supporter, but contributor uh, to, to, to pushing this forward and, and, and designing elements of it. Uh, and we've got Foxtel and Fox Sports represented on the commission as well as Super Rugby. Mm. So, so with that uh, in mind, we're using that body to also support the tenderers. Um, they're due in on the 14th of February. Uh, we'll then take three weeks through to the 7th of March to assess those tenders. And uh, you know, we want to be really sure that, particularly from a financial point of view, but also a high performance rugby point of view, that they're, they're equipped uh, at, the, at a suitable level. Uh, so around about the 7th of March, uh, we'll make our selections and then announce teams for the, uh, the initial year. In terms of competition um, schedule, uh, we're looking to commence on the weekend of the 23rd of August, uh, which is um, a week post um, most of the Premier Rugby Club Grand Finals and two weeks post 
the Super Rugby uh, Grand Final. And then depending on the number of teams in the competition, uh, we'll look to go through either the last weekend of October or the 2nd of November being a grand final date. Semi-finals will be uh, at this stage, again, depending on number of teams, but it will be a, a top four. Yes. Uh, we'll have a 1v4, 2v3 semi-final, yeah. and then the following week a grand final. I think the assumption is it's something a club like Sydney Uni will go it alone, and then you've got other clubs forming consortiums to compete. Um, does the committee have um, any sort of power or ability to, say, recommend to a bid, look, why don't you just tweak it a bit and for the best part, for the best interests of your region and come back to us? Or is their bid just locked in and if you get, uh, you get in or you get out? Yeah, well, as I said before, like, we have been working, Clay, and we're, we're, we're very, working with them now. very available to work with all yeah. genuine tenderers and um, through that process been looking at how they can best be represented in the tender um, because we're also, you know, we've got to concern ourselves with what happens in and around this level of competition, right. you know, whether it be yeah. Premier Club Rugby, like I said before, a real critical part of the pathway, and then up into Super Rugby. So we've got to make sure that it's, it's maintaining the integrity and the position and status of club rugby whilst um, also contributing to the success of our five super teams. And if we have five, and not, not all can win obviously, but if we have five successful um, super teams and the game's in good, uh, in good stead, similarly if we have viable um, club rugby competitions happening underneath. So it, 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 it's, not, it's not easy because there's also willing and able participants out there that could go alone. Um, and in other cases, it, it makes sense to form syndicates where they can pull resources yeah. um, across the board. So we're still we're still quite open uh, to that, but we'd like to we'd like to see that we can maintain, like I said, the integrity of the club rugby scene underneath, and also push for Super Rugby performance above it. With uh, the ideal uh, competition number, it's obviously got to be even, or is it eight, or is it ten? Yeah, I'd, I'd look, um, I don't think it has to be even. Uh, to be honest, but I'm not going to be the sole judge or, or decider on that. I mean, you know, we, we, could, we could run a nine-team competition uh, if it suits. Obviously, you need to put a buy in there. And, you know, we've got a lot of competitions around the world that don't necessarily play every Saturday either. You know, so we're looking at different days of the week to play. And I know, you know, Foxtel and Fox Sports are going to be involved in deciding on what, what, what uh, days are uh, broadcast. Is this an add-on for them? Are they, or are they just actually really e eager to make it work? Oh, look, so far they, they've been hugely enthusiastic and, and involved. And, um, you know, our last commission meeting, we had Ben Buckley and John O'Sullivan involved and, oh, yeah. you know, high up in both organisations and, and really contributing um, significantly to what we're discussing around makeup of, of teams and structures and those sort of things. So, yeah, we're, we're really fortunate to have them on board, not from the, just from the financial point of view, but hopefully also the expertise and the broadcast angle. So I think, you know, we're looking at anywhere from eight to ten teams. We don't want to rule anything out either because, you know, we need to make sure that we're, um, you know, we receive all the tenders and go through them uh, in detail uh, to give everyone the opportunity to be, to, uh, to be involved. Budgets, I mean, are we talking mega bucks here? I mean, you obviously learned some lessons from 2007. Yeah, we have, and um, you know, this only got the green light to go ahead when we we could prove that we had uh, new external revenue to to drive this competition. Mm -hmm. And um, without that, then then the board in particular weren't going to give any approval to to go ahead with this. So we've been able to do that. Uh, so stage one complete. We now need um, a number of teams that that are clearly. Um, able to compete financially uh, and deliver a, a level of program which is appropriate. So, so the next two weeks will show us where we're at financially, but um, um, we're in a position where we can run the competition. We've just got to make sure that um, we have sustainable teams uh, that can be part of it. And that's a key difference to 2007 with the ARC, you know, where we're looking um, at new investment um, to, to drive some team programs. We've looked at different models around player payments. Um, which you know became a, a, a heavy cost back in 2007 with the ARC, and again, Rupert have been fantastic there in you know negotiating, negotiating hard because that's their role. And um, but but we have a good relationship where we can discuss those sort of things in detail, but with the um, the idea of, of what's going on in and around. Um, the the uh, there's some slight changes to how we'd we'd arrange the travel and accommodation part of this competition compared to 2007, um, and um, I said before I mean we start on a good front because we have uh, the broadcaster already mm. you know footing the bill for that whereas back in 2007 we paid uh, yeah. to have the arc broadcast yeah and a big cost as well would. Do you, do you see a possibility of the Super Rugby franchises investing in, in a way of paying salaries for their players to compete? Um, I mean, does that take care of a big slab of it for you? 
It does, but it, it, it sort of creates, you know, you can imagine the complications yeah. that, that occur there because mm -hmm. we've got, you know, we've got 175 full-time uh, contracted players in the country and um, if you take, say, the top 35 out for Wallaby duty during that time, that's not saying that some won't fall back and play, um, which happens in the ITM Cup in New Zealand and also in South Africa, which is another great benefit of those competitions. Um, so you've got, you're left with 140 players um, that will be distributed you know, a, a, across these teams um, that are being paid for by their super clubs. So we, we need to work out that what's, what's appropriate for a super club to, for, for their obligation or for the players' obligations to be fulfilled whilst they're paying them, but they're obviously not pay, playing, sorry, yeah. for that team. So, so that, that's what creates it. And that's why we've taken a little bit of time to come up with how, how that, uh, that model works. Yeah, it's not easy, is it, Kasha? Certainly not. ESPN Scrum had a story in the past 24 hours about uh, Israel Folau, perhaps even being touted out there as a, uh, as, a as a face for this sort of competition. Is, is, is that the sort of face you want out there in, in the marketplace? It would be absolutely fantastic. I'd imagine Izzy would, uh, would have limited time on the field uh, in the actual competition, but uh, him pushing it out there, particularly with his connections to the north and the, and the west of Sydney, would be great. Absolutely, and I think, um, you know, we've, we, I think we've got, hopefully we've got plenty of faces of the game that, that can promote in different regions for different reasons. Um, and um, we've actually created a model where those, the Wallaby players, um, while some of them may not participate much in this competition because of their international duties, they'll actually be attached and selected in teams. Um, and, uh, and that's important uh, for two reasons. One is they can become the face, um, and hopefully we can sort of um, distribute those players in a way that makes sense. You know, so whether they've got some regional attachment um, or they're, they're, they're a name, a face that could grow support participation in that area. But it also allows Ewan uh, at the end of the day to drop those players down into a team to play if they're not getting game time, game time um, at international level. Training paddock, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, is is there going to be some uh, is there going to be some direction from uh, from on high about uh, the makeup of particular squads? You know, like uh, you, you mentioned before about Quade Cooper and Will Genia being nineteen year old rookies on on the bench for the two Brisbane clubs. Uh, is there going to be a mix of uh, the old heads and, uh, and and some kids sort of coming through, promising yeah, kids? There will be, and I think we've sort of tried to test that model like with scenarios already, and I think it shows up um, that that there will be a good mixture of older players and younger players. Uh, the facts are that our club rugby systems have become younger over the years, so we haven't got as many older players. Like go back to when my brother was playing third grade at Randwick, and you know, man, he was he was behind players 30, 35 years of age who were teaching him stuff from halfback. We don't sort of have that uh, anymore. They've gone elsewhere or they've stopped playing because the game's changed. And uh, so we'll still have a mixture, but I think we'll have a fair youth content to our squads. And we've set it up where at the moment we'll have squads of 33 players. Um, so and, and, and some of those players within the 33 will be um, known as development players. Yeah. So it opens up opportunity to make sure that we've got a good smattering of your under-19s, under-20s, under-21s right, to yeah. push through. Over time, we hope that changes. There's more challenge. So we push the younger guys. You know, they have to really work hard to get involved in this competition in four or five years' time because you know, we've got the 21 to 24-year-old um, yeah. you know, really holding down a lot of those positions. How closely have you looked at the ITM Cup? I mean, uh, you see all the time on social media and Twitter how good those games are and how engaged people are watching uh, those matches. I mean, is there a bit of envy about that for Australian rugby? I think so, and I'd like to think, you know, if, if, if that's what the supporters are saying, I think, you know, there's, there's envy from a, a national union point of view for a whole you know, set of reasons and hopefully you know, people are watching it because it, it, it's this content, it's on TV and every single game is competitive. Um, you know, they get that week in, week out and like I said, they are very good and have been over the years in moving their schedule around too. I, mean, I think it was last year, the only night they didn't have an ITM Cup game on TV was a Tuesday night. Right, yeah. You know, so they, they ensured that there was content there um, across the week and every single game like I said is competitive particularly from a contact point of view mm. and um, I mean if we want players to develop at a certain rate then you've got to play footy uh, or rugby and, you, and, you, and you've got to challenge them particularly around the contact areas of the game and that's what they do so well notwithstanding the over 100 years of history they've got in their competition, which you've got to be envious of straight away. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the late Matty McEwen saying to me when I was at the Waratahs uh, way back when, saying that the, you know Fox were really keen to get like a Thursday night game or a Wednesday night game, but just given the way that, that uh, we're playing across the whole Southern Hemisphere, logistically it was just impossible to do it when you're playing a physical sport like rugby. But that's the challenge. If you can produce content... Um, uh, particularly at that time of the year where there's a bit of a dead zone in, in footy, 
Like, uh, I always used to try and get the club final extended into October a bit because it wasn't competing against anything mm. and you'd get a good run on the major networks on the news that night. So, you know, there's an opportunity there if you could produce that content, quality content too. Absolutely. Yeah. Which also, uh, to, to, to sort of bring the history and all that sort of stuff into it early on, what, are you going to have a trophy? Uh, you know, is it going to be a, you know, a historical sort of thing? You know, what, what, what are the ideas in, in and around that? Have you got an idea about who, who your trophy may be, may be named after or anything along those lines? I think it's a good opportunity to acknowledge you know, a real key contributor to the game through through trophies, through awards and those sort of things. And that's definitely been discussed at, at commission uh, level. But again, it's probably one that we want to open up a little bit as well. Uh, and then we look at other competitions and see what they've done. So clearly in New Zealand, it's it's the National Provincial Championship. So uh, a lot of people uh, knew it as the MPC, mm. um, but now it's the ITM Cup um, for obvious reason yeah. uh, that you know the commercial partner gets rights to the name of the um, yeah. the competition. But they also play for the Ranfurly Shield, Shield during the competition, mm. which is unique. Um, huge history and those sort of things. So I think, you know, again, we need to be patient because when you, you, you know, we're only in the setup stage, um, but over time those things will become, you know, really built into the fabric of, the, of such a competition. But good opportunity there. Were you sort of uh, angling for the cash cow cup? <laughs> well, you know, the, the the new trading entities out there, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we could discuss a sponsorship toy. opportunity. Yeah. I'm not sure how much I can stump up, yeah, but uh, cash is happy to uh, underwrite oh, it for a million a year. I was going to say we're happy to talk business too. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so and you mentioned South Africa. What about the Curry Cup and um, and the things you can take out of that competition as well? Yeah, well, I think they they sort of they link nicely with what um, happens around ITM Cup and how it supports the pathway in their country. Again, huge history to that competition. Exactly. Um, you know, they don't even change the name of their their trophy or their tournament. Mm. You know, whether it be due to commercial reasons or whatever, and it just shows you what what how big the game is and the standing it has in that country. Mm. Uh, but the concept's not that different. Do you know what I mean? You've got best players available playing against best players. You've got regional representation over there. So you've got provinces, a little bit different maybe to where, to where we're heading. Um, and um, you've got good support into national programs and super rugby programs. So they, they, they don't, um, I suppose, use their competition for a whole lot of innovation, but they've got, like I said before, the Varsity Cup, mm. where they trial a lot of that. And the Varsity Cup has become a real critical part of their pathway where it started more as an opportunity to engage universities. Um, when we met with them last uh, two years ago, they were sort of talking that not many players now that graduate to Springbok level haven't played Varsity Cup. Um, and obviously university and tertiary education um, can be a nice point of difference for our game. Which uh, in the A-League, the, the marquee players are pretty important. Uh, is the commission looking at, at, a, at a scenario where, where you'd actually uh, have a marquee player, whether, whether that's to sort of come in and finish off the season and maybe kick on and, uh, and head off to a Super Rugby franchise? We've, we've discussed it. Uh, it's probably not uh, the highest on the agenda at the moment. Um, any marquee sort of idea adds costs. Uh, and we don't want people to sort of have to uh, worry about that when they've got other things that they've really got to um, attend to in terms of feasibility and those sort of things. It, it, like I said, it's been talked about. I think it's an idea worth worth looking closely at. I think it, you, you need to look at how our the, the, the competition um, uh, term matches to other ones internationally. You know, it sort of pretty much um, overlaps anything happening in the UK. Um, so, so the opportunity for those sort of players to come out. But then, you know, you look back a couple of years ago and, um, and Balmain got out, um, Shabal didn't play a one-off um, subbies game. So, so you, don't, you never say never. Uh, I just say that it's a little bit lower on the priority list at the moment. I mean, what about clubs like Balmain? Very uh, inventive um, and exciting that they've been able to do that. I'm known as a subbies club, but why can't they make that transition up the ladder? We, we talked about this with Rocky about how he doesn't believe, and I sort of agree with him that uh, relegation can be a good thing to promote, um, you know, excellence. Uh, did he, Rocky said that he, he's he a fan. Said it is good. He is a fan of relegation. Yeah, it, it, yeah and, and look, we, we don't necessarily um, as long as it doesn't kill you off. That's but, right. Yeah. Well, they control and, and how the competitions are structured here. Obviously, yeah. in the case of Balmain, they're, they're involved in the suburban competition, which is a huge competition. Uh, it's the world's in, biggest, isn't it? In this in in this city, it, it, it is. It's a, it's a fantastic. Uh, well-run uh, competition that provides, you know, you know, participation avenues for a lot of different players. And and look, Balmain have done a lot of things, as a lot of other clubs have done over the years. And I think um, we've seen through the expressions of interest that there are people outside of traditional, say, premier clubs mm. that are interested in, um, in in looking at this new competition. So. Um, 
hopefully, you know, hopefully they see good benefit in being involved. And Bronk, I, I think I can exclusively reveal that Balmain are actually in discussions with Sydney University. I'm sure Wits can't say it, but uh, we can say they're in discussions with Sydney University and uh, will have some sort of role in maybe that uh, combined sort of franchise that's out there, whether it's uh, Sydney Uni, a bit of Ramwick and maybe a bit of Balmain. Who knows? But there's a lot of things on the table, Wits, and it's a very fluid op- uh, situation at the moment, isn't it? It is, and we're not privy to all the discussions and uh, activities that are going on, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, you know, different entities, clubs, etc., can can decide on what their level of uh, or ability to enter or be involved is, and uh, and you know we're there to support and answer questions along the way. So um, you know, those if, if that is the case, then then that's great. But it's it's got to be open to everybody being uh, being part of this. I think the big elephant in the room, though, is what does it mean for the shoot shield? What does it mean for clubs who are, have been battling? You know, Penrith, of course, have been struggling for some time. Um, what What is the duty of care for the AU uh, introducing this but looking at the, the core of the game, which is the shoot shield? Yeah, a lot, a lot of people would, would recognise that through the course of the last six months there's been quite a bit of communication between uh, the AAU and uh, the concept of this new competition and how it would impact or uh, um, interacts with the, the club competitions. You know, not just in Sydney, but in Brisbane, in Canberra, in Perth and Melbourne, you know what I mean? And, and we've, you know, we've asked a lot of those competitions because by, by, by putting this competition forward, they've adjusted their schedules and time frames to finish before this competition kicks off. So, so they've done a lot already uh, to, to support. Um, it's fair to say that not every single club involved at Premier Club Rugby level is um, you know, 100% in agreement with kicking this off and I uh, understand you know, why, because they've invested a lot of time and energy into their clubs and, um, and their competitions and, and we've, we've, we've communicated often that we still, uh, we, we do believe it, it plays a crit- critical role in the pathway and, and it will continue to. Um, but the exposure of players up into a new level, coaches, uh, match officials and that sort of thing is saying at the moment that those competitions across Australia don't actually provide. And it's a simple case of just pulling um, players together. Um, and you know, you talk. And, and I, look, I'm not privy to to, to all what happens in, in in say the Penrith Club, for instance. But this would provide players in the Penrith Club with an opportunity to be exposed to higher levels as well. Mm. Um, and whilst they may have struggled as a team on the field, uh, there's no doubt there's some individuals uh, within that club that have been recognised for high, higher honours. And I think this will actually contribute further to that. Well, maybe an aspiration for people who aren't even in the club. You know, that's that's something even more tangible. Well, you've got to create and build a story, yeah. you know what I mean? And um, and maybe we have had some, you know, we haven't had a, a an aligned, continuous pathway that, that, that's excited people from outside to come in and get involved, you know? And um, I think this will, uh, with some of the things we're doing underneath as well, show that from, say, 15, 14 years of age, um, you know, if you're willing, good enough, and work hard enough, mm. then there's real good opportunity to step, step by step, aggressive pathway through to achieving your aim and whether that's playing club rugby, first grade premier rugby, NRC, super rugby, who knows, but um, we need to provide access and opportunity for that. And I think we need to um, we need to bed something down. You talked about the history of the other competitions and even the Shoot Shields had its moments where it was a half year competition and then a two's new cup and we understood that through commercial arrangements but you know uh, we have missed with that, that tier of rugby for a long time now and I think it would be great just to bed something down and then move forward and keep it that way. Sure, and then everyone can contribute. Like, like I said, there's so many strong contributors to our game right across all levels of the pathway, and we need to make sure that they're satisfied and they're mm-hmm. you know, rewarded suitably to continue to do what they do. And um, you know, like I said, we, we, uh, we've been really strong on not ignoring that. Um, whilst we might not appease everybody, mm-hmm. uh, and it's very difficult across you know, something like the pathway to, um, to satisfy everybody's 100% needs, I think we've, we're quite conscious of of where this sits and how it impacts around. A lot of talk wits about the players, but uh, the coaching and uh, the management aspect of uh, professional rugby teams, that's an important part of it too, isn't it? You know, like uh, you might be keeping people in, in Australia rather than sort of heading overseas and their expertise being lost to the game here on a coaching front, in a management front, all, all sorts of things like that. And we've had, we've had quite a few coaches uh, come both uh, within Australia and overseas have, have asked questions about uh, this competition and how they might be involved and you know we I think we've always been you know pretty aware that we've got a really strong uh, pool of coaches um, many of them overseas but that's where opportunity lies and and a lot of them um, learn and pick up a lot by going overseas uh, and hopefully one day coming back and um, a lot of them also 
um, and, and almost 100% of our super rugby coaches at head coach level have graduated through club rugby. Um, so, so the opportunity there is, is huge, but we want to bring back you know, the so-called best, but also provide opportunity for the up-and-coming coaches to be part of uh, a competition like this uh, that can hopefully progress their talent as well as players. You mentioned not all the clubs are on board, and I get a good feeling about uh, that the majority, majority of clubs are pretty keen to be involved. In 2007, that certainly wasn't the case, and there were a lot of clubs from the get-go that wanted to see the demise of the Australian Rugby Championship. But you get the feeling this time around that they're pretty much involved. I mean, Casho, the mob around your joint, you know, from the North Shore, they were onto it the very next day, or even the same day, getting a, a consortium together. Yeah, yeah, and listen, they, they seem to have uh, uh, really embraced the, uh, you know, getting together. You know, there's there's some strange bedfellows in in that particular pitch, which isn't there. You know, there's, it's it's like uh, Ramwick and East getting together. You know, it's uh, North and Gordon and Manly Warringah. So, but you know, they're they're all in the same bed. God knows what they're doing to each other. But uh, listen, it's it's good for the game that they they're sort of coming together, and it also doesn't uh, doesn't put stresses on uh, on uh, club finances because quite easily uh, a, a team like Ramwick could well go it alone with, with their particular brand, a very, very strong sort of rugby brand, but, uh, uh, but combining it, it sort of shares the, shares the pain, shares the load. So all, all that uh, can only be good. Well, those brands are good, aren't they? I mean, would the AAU like to see some of those club brands promoting it? Oh, I think, if, I think they're, if they're up to it. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I mean, this sort of, it might be a, a general view here, but those brands sell the game anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they have done for a long, long time, and, and I don't think we want to mess with those. Um, at what level of competition game they're playing at, um, well, time will tell, but I think um, they're a brand already. You know what I mean? They don't, I, don't, I don't know if they need anything else to sell and promote their brand. Um, the clubs will make that choice as well. You know, they own that brand really, or they're the they're the custodians of that brand, and yeah, you know I mean, and people who come and play for that club have had the opportunity to to evolve that brand. So um, we're keen to make sure that those brands exist no matter what, um, whether they exist in this competition. Um, you know, time will tell, but they've got choice. And I think just what Mark was saying there, you know, um, different to, to 2007 with the ARC, yeah. you know, it, it's been up to, up to um, entities like the clubs. Um, what's been really exciting is there's been some people come from outside, not necessarily from a rugby uh, point of view, but more sort of from an involvement investment point of view that's, that haven't been involved in the game previously. And, and between the two, you know, they've been able to work out you know, how they are best to contribute, what level of involvement they want rather than being forced or pushed. Which, have the words uh, salary cap a draft been mentioned in the commission at any stage? Uh, salary cap very early on, but then uh, the salary, there was no number that really made sense uh, because um, you know, we're, we're conscious of the fact that it... Don't you have that anyway? Because clubs, essentially the franchises in Super Rugby have a budget. That's and right. that sort of sets it. And how you use that is up to you. It does. And, and you know, we, like I said, we've been working really hard with Rupert on, on designing a, um, a sort of a payment model around this competition, which is you know, really sensible. And um, we'll, we'll probably... Um, what's, a st- what's a starter going to get? Oh, look, I don't think... Uh, what we're trying to do is position this level of competition initially where it's not about earning money to play in it. It's about aspiration and the opportunity to develop. Um, and I think... You know, pretty much 99.9. That'd be the wrong approach, wouldn't it? If you were going players, to that competition to make money. Yeah, this is the other thing. I mean, we've been involved with the development of young players for a long, long time, and um, you know, they haven't changed in their mindset. You know, they want to go as far as they can. They want to be involved in the best programs under the best coaching, and they want to play. Um, they want to so play. They yeah. want to play. Yeah. Um, and and we've designed a pathway going into this year that has far more playing than we've done for a long, long time. And and. Um, so we've set it up so a player won't come to this competition for three and a half months and, and walk away with hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, this is this is about being um, compensated for your time, particularly those that are already working. Yeah. Uh, we don't, you know what I mean? And, and the structure of how the program we run will will ensure that there is capacity to still work. So this isn't about all 33 players in each team being full-time, um, similarly with some of the staffing structures. So so we're sort of a halfway between what currently is, is club rugby sort of setups and infrastructure. And, um, and Super Rugby. And um, you know, at the moment in testing that model, um, we believe it's a, it's a pretty solid starting point. It grows the base too, doesn't it, Wits? I mean, it gives rugby even a greater base for employment, um, you know, fans, infrastructure, that sort of thing. You know, it just gives rugby a bigger base rather than thinning out in, in the wake of all this competition from the A-League, etc. 
Yeah, and I think you know we all get exposed to different people and different programs and those sort of things. I've been very fortunate in my career, you know, to work full time in rugby. But that's, yeah, you know, I've been exposed to so many different people. We want to provide everyone the opportunity to be exposed, and and who knows, you know, um, things might occur for individuals out of this that um, allow them to to work in the game. What's your mission? What's your mission statement? I mean, what, what what's the number one thing for this competition? Yeah, right now as we sit here now, we want to get it started. Um, <laughs> we want to get it yeah. started. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, but but you know it's an interesting one because whilst on one hand you know we've got the most enthusiastic CEO at the moment who really wants to you know develop the game, but he wants to acknowledge the people that are involved in the game. Um, so we want to make sure that it delivers on that front. Um, and at this stage, it's probably a little bit grey and hazy for some people how that will work. Mm. So so it is a case of getting it done um, against some pretty you know solid um, principles around you know development, talent, etc., but also content. And um, so it's on one hand really exciting, continue, continuing to excite, but on the other hand we have to be really diligent you know, and make sure that um, you know, what we do do is, 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 is sustainable and, um, you know, and ultimately we can afford it. And it's got opportunity to grow and that's why I keep, you know, we keep using the word patience around the commission table because exciting on one hand, patient on the other and make sure that we're diligent um, in, in, in setting this up and um, you know, it's saying that in five years, ten years time we can look back and say, um, you know, it's working. Actually, 100% right about the, the CEO. It's, it's great to have him pushing this from behind. Someone described me as he's, he's, he's like the Energizer Bunny about this, uh, this particular competition and uh, he's doing everything in his power to, uh, to get it over the line and to make it work. And that's yeah, great. Big support and very open to discuss all elements of this with any party. And, um, you know, that's great. Whilst we've got myself and the John Boltbys of the world and this sort of thing, to have the CEO of the National Union available to discuss elements of the competition with potential tenderers, you know, is, is significant. And um, I think it's had, um, you know, it's, it's created real benefit. Well, Ben, good luck with that. Just a couple of quick ones before you go. And, and obviously you deal with these professional players a lot. Super Rugby, just around the corner. Uh, the uh, changes that have gone taken place at the Rebels, interesting. They had a nice little trial win the other day against uh, the Waratahs. But, you know, a lot of players coming back from injury, particularly the Waratahs, their roster looks really, really good. Is this the year? <laughs> For the Waratahs? Yeah. Have you heard that question before? Yeah, I mean, I, have, I, I lived in a household. Um, I asked it directly to my brother often. But, uh, look, they're set up. They, they, you know, Michael Checker's had a year in the, in the chair now and, and um, you know, very experienced and um, has had probably a better handle on who's involved in his squad of 35 going forward. And, you know, they've obviously been training hard and they get their influx of, mm. of Wallabies, which for them, you know, is a big group. And um, you know, I'm sure they're, they're well prepared and set up. I mean, you talk about the Rebels and uh, Tony McGahn, you know, one of the, the best coaches yeah, in the game and um, fantastic. You know, and I, you know, I know what they've done in the past there and, and Damien Hill's a fantastic coach too. And Tony brings a different dimension there and experience. And um, it sounds like the players um, you know, have adapted really well to that and, and, and they're working extremely hard. And um, I said before, we need all five to be doing really well and, um, and, and, and we hopefully can put in place some things that support them to do that. Um, Elsewhere in the HPU, uh, the under 20 uh, program has been underperforming in the last couple of years, finished uh, probably a bit lower down than everyone would expect for a, for a, a top tier nation in Australia. What's happening with that? Uh, are we going to turn these things around? Yeah, we intend to. I mean, we, we've 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 come eighth and then seventh um, the last two years, and um, you know we were consistent semi finalists in, in in not just the twenties, but before that the nineteens and twenty ones every year. And I think two things have happened there. Is one is that we've 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 changed our model over the last three or four years. And I mean, Joe, you talked before about consistency being important. And I think you know we need to get get back to being a little bit consistent about how we um, not just drive that team, but what we do underneath to develop players for that team. We've moved to a model which is more around competition now. Uh, so we've see it's funny what's new is old, and um, we've gone back to state-based under twenties programs where they've been training since November. So every kid around this country at that age has the opportunity to compete for spots in their state under twenty team. They're trained up to play for a team and compete for positions that will then play in two tournaments in late February. Um, we've got a Southern States tournament which involves um, WA, South Australia, Victoria. Canberra, New South Wales country and Queensland country. 
in an under-20s tournament down in Adelaide, really well supported by um, SA Rugby Union and the state government down there. And then in late March, we'll pull, pull in New South Wales and Queensland and a combined states team selected from that tournament to come together to play. So we've got the, the, the benefit of them training up, competing for positions. So there's the development tag, there's the challenge thing I talked about earlier, and then they play. And then out of that, um, our national staff will select um, a squad of 35 to go into their first preparation um, phase for, for the, tour- the, the the Junior World Cup in June. What about sevens? It really is growing globally, isn't it? And, um how well are the women going? I mean, the focus on the women's uh, program has been impressive and you've got results too. I mean, they're outstanding and recent wins over the All Blacks or the, the women's All Black side in uh, New Zealand um, uh, against the New Zealanders is, uh, is testament to how this, uh, this uh, whole program's improved. I think, I mean, and, and that, the women's sevens side of the game has just shown how much excitement you can you can get in a, an area that probably has been a little bit untapped you know what I mean mm. and now they've got opportunity to to compete internationally but um, uh, but obviously go to the Olympics yeah. uh, in 2016 and they've caught on and I think what they've been able to do is they've been really good at having um, you know some very experienced almost world best players in their squad mm. and match that with some real quality youth coming through I mean the number of 17 18 19 year olds coming through that system some from a rugby background, some from an odds tag and touch background um, has been really exciting. And so they've been able to marry the two. Um, they're based down at Narrabeen now. You know, they're working hard every single day. And uh, um, yeah, look, they've got another big tournament coming up um, to hopefully solidify that number one position. But um, it's something that we really want to push, as well as the men's. You know, I mean, they started really well on the Gold Coast in uh, in October and um, they probably underperformed in the next two tournaments, three tournaments. So they want to get back um, to filling that sort of top four plus position in um, in Wellington this weekend. Yeah, they started all right in, uh, in Vegas, but uh, just got overwhelmed at, at half time. But uh, yeah, it's it's really important. We talked about all this collateral, this this spreading the base. So mm-hmm. with sevens, you know, you, you're really covering uh, not exactly different athletes. So they're still rugby players, but you know, guys with a bit of gas certainly have an advantage. Yeah. Like Absolutely you, right, Bob. You've got plenty of gas. <laughs> Listen, I've just been this is probably off topic a bit, but yeah. I've just been noticed the pitches that are flicking over in the background. Yeah, it's at 60 there. 40, the 60% is on uh, on the cheerleaders and the 40 is on the actual uh, action on the field. So oh. uh, so they must be your photos. You yeah, took them all, uh, didn't you? Uh, no, I did. Well, there's a, the Rams. Oh, look at that, Sailing. That's uh, the great oh, Jeff well, Sale with uh, Tim Davidson. Yeah. So, you know, there's plenty of. Um, He's a Ramwick bloke and a Sydney Uni bloke together in the no, one no, picture. That, yeah. uh, <laughs> that was the match. Uh, you talk about jumping in the bed together that would have been a yes exactly. yeah a lot of protection in that one um all right oh look at this too by the way is a bit of a national rugby championship confidential confidential uh, that's, right. a, that's the tender document so right, not, not so confidential <laughs> but uh yeah. I thought we had a scoop there for a second with so, all right mate thanks for coming in mate really appreciate Pleasure. it uh, a lot of people have been asking us about what's going on and you've really um enlightened us with uh with the tender process and where we're going to end up so good luck with the next store it's only a week or so now really isn't it before right. we start getting some teams yeah yep absolutely right. terrific thank you there he is great work thanks, thanks Wits. one of the Wits- Whittaker brothers what are the other two blokes doing? So you got um, um, Chris in uh, in France. They might be both in France. There's a bit of surf there. Yeah, no. Chris is uh, yep um, the coaching trade over there, and he's been away for about eight and a half years now. And uh, the younger brother's um, still um, pro surfing. Chasing the waves. Yeah. He's done that since the age of fourteen. So um, we sort of joke that I'm the only one in the family that actually really works. <laughs> uh, but then my position is not a bad one either. But uh, yeah, they've done you very surf, they've mate. done very well. I, I throw the kids on the board these days, yeah, yeah far easier. Eight and a half years Chris has been away. Yeah. Wow, that's astounding. Can he speak French properly? Oh, he can speak French. I don't know if properly is the, <laughs> the right way to describe it. Of course, he's renowned as being a bit of a hobo, isn't he? He's probably still got some clothes back here from eight and a half years ago, isn't uh, he? Well, I just hope he's having a shower now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Wits, for coming in. Pleasure. There he is, Ben Wicker, from the, uh, what's your official title again? Uh, Development Pathways General Manager. Okay, there you go. I'll have that as a super underneath that. <laughs> By the time the show goes to air, uh, very um, very grateful to have you in here today. Thanks. Now, um, just wait for one moment, Wits, as we uh, we uh, I guess have to um, say goodbye to one of the legends of the game in Australia. And Casho, uh, I'll, I'll throw it to you because um, uh, the sad news during the week that Max Howe passed away, and the rugby community is definitely mourning. 
Yeah, listen, had had the opportunity to work with uh, with Max on the uh, the judging of the, uh, the rugby's Invincibles. We inducted uh, four in June of uh, last year, and uh, Max was a was a willing contributor uh, at at that judging luncheon. And there were some higher powered rugby people there, including uh, including uh, Alan Jones, uh, Andrew Slack, Greg Groudon, who was Jim uh, Tucker, Jim Tucker, and uh, varying others uh, about the play scene. Peyton from the Daily Telegraph, and uh, we. Came up with I thought you said influential. <laughs> yes, we came up with the four and uh, listener was uh, Max's insight into uh, all those people that he actually played with in the uh, in the late forties and uh, early fifties. He had some some great opinions there about uh, varying people and the strengths of their game and all that sort of stuff. But uh, Max wasn't just all about rugby. He was also a uh, a, a major contributor to the uh, academic world. He'd had fifty books published and uh, he's going to be missed. Actually, Wallaby number three three nine. Max Howell. Rest easy, old champ. Well said, Mark Cashman. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you for coming in. And let's leave the last word to Max Howell. He spoke to Mark Cashman, and I was lucky enough to be behind the camera about the Invincibles last year, and we'll leave the last words to the man himself. I was just a youngster, actually, in the 1944, 45, 46, and I was on the first tour overseas, and that was 1946 to New Zealand, and that was the first tour by any country, of any country, after the war. And then the great tour was after that, was 1947, 1948, which took nine months. You went by boat, and those were the days. But in the days when I was playing in the 1944s, a lot of the players from pre-war were still playing. And they were the Bill Cerruttis of this world, the Orb Hodgson's and Albie Stone's, and they were still battling on in the grades. They were maybe 40 years of age. And, and so I got a bit of a feeling for the fellows of yesteryear as well as uh, the present ones. Fantastic times, obviously, for you. Fantastic sort of memories. But uh, an important part for the game, uh, important time for the game uh, in Australia. It was because it was our, the first team uh, back to England. And, and it used to be that the regulation was that every 10 years you'd go to England and every 10 years you'd go to South Africa. And so the 1908 Wallabies were the first Wallabies to go overseas. But rugby stopped in Queensland and, and did not resume till 1929. And so the next tour overseas, the second Wallabies, was the one that never played a game. And they went over there and war broke out as they arrived. Uh, and so we were the next ones after the war, 47, 48. And I was all of 19 years of age when I stepped on the boat, 20 years of age when I got back. And I'd played at that stage 32 games for Australia. And I retired at 20 years of age. So I may have been not the youngest to play for Australia, but I was certainly the youngest to retire. Um, obviously, we're honoured to uh, have you involved in the judging process for the uh, Inside Rugby Invincibles. Uh, it was good banter around the table. I, I, I thought the, uh, the exchanges were uh, illuminating. Oh, it's great because we're all speaking from different eras. And the fact of the matter is that when you're growing up as a kid, when let's say you're 16 or 17 or 18 years of age, you see the, the heroes on the field and you remember those all your life as being the best players you ever saw. And so people of my ilk are speaking out the, of the players we idolise and someone else in the 50s and 60s, he's speaking about the people they idolise. And it's very interesting and, and the perspective of where people come from uh, in their analyses, you know, and uh, whether it should be a, the, the, uh, the captain, whether it should be uh, the backs, whether it should be the forwards, it's really interesting when you get into it. And when, in this case, we're only selecting four, it makes it almost impossible because you see the list of the great players of yesteryear, and that's just post-World War. And it's just fantastic how many great players there, there were. You could, you could select very easily 50 Invincibles, and every one of them would be worth their place, and we are, unfortunately, in the situation where we have to select four. That's fantastic. Max Howell, thanks for being with us today. Pleasure. For being part of this uh, of a tradition, uh, the inside rugby invincibles. Uh, pleasure. I hope to be at the next one when I'm 103. <laughs>